Good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi and my son John Mark joining you from the studios at the Coming Home Network International to have another episode of Deep in Scripture. Hello, John Mark. How are you doing up north? Doing well. Welcome, everybody. Some of you listening to the program may not realize what I just talked about, but I'm coming to you from the studios <laughs> down by Zanesville, Ohio, the uh, the mother office of the Coming Home Network, if you will. And John Mark is up at the uh, the northern outpost up in the snowy realm yeah. of uh, Perrysburg, Ohio. Uh, <laughs> right. We're occupying the virtual studio that, together that, right now. That's right. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, but thank you for joining us on this program. We're going to uh, jump into talking about contentment today. Looking at uh, what we're calling the 10 ingredients to growing in contentment, and we get these from Paul's letter to the Philippians. It's kind of a tag on a little bit from the discussions at John Mark and I over the last couple of weeks. Uh, but John Mark, maybe before we get into this, if you maybe tell our audience, maybe they're coming to us for the first time, talk about Deep in Scripture and also about our previous programs. Sure thing. Yeah, the, the Coming Home Network, as you may or may not know, is a network of converts to the Catholic Church, uh, as well as people who are on the journey, as well as lifelong Catholics who read the stories and are supportive of the, of the work. Uh, and we'd love to in invite you to our community. If you visit chnetwork.org, we've got uh, many conversion stories, many great resources. You can join the network and receive our newsletter or meet other converts and, and people who are discovering the Catholic Church on our online community. So that's all at chnetwork.org. Thanks, John Mark. I think it was last week, it seems so long ago, uh, that we finished up a discussion of First uh, Timothy chapter mm -hmm. 6. And in verse 6, Paul addresses this issue of contentment. And I don't remember if we really jumped into this very much last time. Right. Where Paul says, there is great gain in godliness with contentment. And we're going to talk about that in a little more. And uh, maybe to be uh, fully, what's the word I look for? Let, let the audience know the, the whole background of this. The reason we're uh, doing this, <laughs> what's that? <Jeremy? laughs> no, no, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I happened to be digging through an old file, cleared out some stuff. And I came across a piece of paper that I had written with pencil, some notes from I don't know when. It may have been five <laughs> years ago. It may have been 25 years ago. But it yeah. was these 10 ingredients of contentment from the book of Philippians. And I have no idea when I wrote these down. It was my handwriting. <laughs> so it may have been back when I was a Protestant minister. It may have been. I don't know. Maybe there's something floating around the internet that I've, I don't remember. <laughs> uh, maybe it's because I just turned 67, so I, my mind isn't with me <laughs> as much as it used to be. But that's why I thought, John Mark, this would be good for us to talk yeah. about, because it seems to me that we're living today in an age when contentment seems to be so elusive mm -hmm. for so many people, maybe even exponentially so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the having a whole world that is only increasing, as you say, exponentially in not in desire, and but also like um, you know d disaffectedness and and anxiety, you know, even on the human level, it seems that humans, you know, more than ever, 
uh, can't just be with even with themselves, can't be quiet, can't be silent. Um, and so it, it's, it seems definitely to be a, a spiritual condition that's uh, ramping up in the world, though certainly, as we see in the scripture, it's it's uh, part of the human condition. It's one of the basic struggles we we wrestle with is of having this desire for peace, desire for contentment, but where do we go to find that? You know, uh, We've quoted many times in the work of the Coming Home Network that statement by John Henry Cardinal Newman in the opening of his uh, essay on the development of doctrine when he says to become deep in history is to cease to be Protestant. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons that I so agree with him is in many ways not so much the Protestant issue. Mm -hmm. It's that when you're deep in history, it puts your present status in a bigger context. Mm -hmm. We can be blind to our the, the realities of our present situation right, and not understand what's brought us here and where we're going Mm-hmm. If the blinders of our life are limited to our present situation, yeah. and we may be not content in our present situation and not realize why, mm-hmm. because we're right. ignorant of what's brought us here. And that's why being deep in history helps mm-hmm. us see the trajectory of so many things that's brought us to this yeah. present state of politics, economics, culture, everything in our in our present world, yeah. um, as people, I think, are, are, are hungry for contentment in mm-hmm. life, but they're trying to feed that hunger with a thousand wrong things. Right. Well, in, in, in here in Timothy, pairing godliness and contentment here, I think, is a key too, because. Um, you know, in the in the ways of the spiritual life, Ignatius points this out in Discernment of Spirits, that it, when we're moving away from God, then the voice of God comes as something that that shakes us up, that wants to make us anxious about our condition. You know, when we're moving when we're moving away from God or when we're when we're content but without godliness, then the you know, God's speaking to us, whether it's going deep in history or seeing a scripture that we never saw before or a friend challenging us then that comes as something that that actually creates discontent because we realize we're living an ungodly life. Um, whereas when we're moving towards God, you know, that that contentment that's paired with godliness, that's a true contentment only God can give through cooperating with him. Um, and so godliness with contentment uh, is a key here because you have many in the modern world that that reject godliness and then ever they're ever more deeply craving a contentment that they're not going to find because only it's only going to come through uh, God's grace uh, through them living out godliness. Yeah, this that word contentment, in the middle of it, and I know this isn't good exegesis, <laughs> but in the middle of that word contentment is the word tent. And it just makes me think visually about putting your tent where you are, and being satisfied and happy and not looking elsewhere for fulfillment. Um, contentment is the, the other word, the other uh, ways of translating this particular Greek word in this context, which is a rare one in the New Testament. 
Mm-hmm. There's really only two places in the New Testament where this particular Greek word is used, and it's mm-hmm. in this passage in Philippians, which we'll quote, and then in First Timothy. But uh, it means that I'm satisfied. I'm not anxious mm. about other places, other times, other things. Mm-hmm. And the reason I use that visual image that comes with this put in your tent here <laughs> is that we need to know the context so that we, we recognize that the place where we are is a place to pitch our tent. Mm-hmm. You know, the context of our life may not be where mm-hmm. we should settle in. That doesn't right. mean that we shouldn't be content, but mm-hmm. that's why, as you've said, John Mark, that contentment needs to be paired with godliness. Right. It's you know it's the nature of the of the God that we have. We're not talking when we talk about our God. We're not talking about a God who's another player among the many players of our universe. We're talking about the Creator. We're talking about the all good, all knowing, all powerful God. And as it reminds us throughout Scripture, you can't escape from that God. He's always more present to you than you are to yourself. And so always the first place that you're going to find God is in, in the present moment. And, and again, if, if a person is not living a life of godliness, then that comes with some trepidation and some anxiety to really face up to God in the present moment where I am, precisely because it may be calling me to go someplace else to seek God maybe in the places I've been avoiding him. But it always begins with, you know, I think allowing and and facing up to the presence of God in the place I am, in the time that I am. And when Paul wrote both his letters to Timothy as well as the letter to the Philippians, which we're going to focus on uh, today, he was in chains. Mm -hmm. He was in prison. Um, When he wrote the verse in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, not that I complain of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. When he wrote that down, he may, may not have even been able to write that down. He may have had to speak it so that somebody else could write it down for him because he was in chains. He was in prison. He was separated from all of his close friends. He was an aging guy like me. We know from his writings there were times when he wondered whether anything he had done made any difference. You know, those temptations, those battles mm-hmm. that come on, uh, that try and discourage him. We're going to talk about that at the very end of this program when Paul talks mm-hmm. about that, the discouragement. But that's when he says, friends, it's not that I'm complaining, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Mm-hmm. And uh, now, John Mark, you're the philosopher. And uh, the, the, no, there's another background to this statement when he uses the word content because the context probably to the people who he was writing to in Philippians had heard people using the word content hmm. outside of the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Stoics or the Cynics, uh, you know, outside of the faith amongst pagan religion, amongst secular society— there would have been a, a sort of a, a recognition of a secular virtue on a, on a human level, this ability to be content, to stand stalwart uh, uh, amongst whatever life threw at you. 
Uh, and as with everything, uh, you know, there, there's some grains of truth in that. I mean, we get an intuitive sense, even amongst the, some of the writings of the Stoics, that, you know, they, they touched a little bit on this recognition that um, there was a certain providence in things, and there was there was some virtue to be had in in receiving what came to you and and just and um, yeah receiving it uh, being grateful amongst it not not uh, having these uh, attachments detachment any of these kinds of virtues but of course all these things um, they only work if they're in accord with reality and if the reality is that we've been created by God and destined for Him then ultimately all those virtues. Um, they, they stand or fall eventually to the degree that they're plugged into their source and they're oriented towards their proper end. And of course, that's God. So again, using this, Christianity always does this. It, it, it takes these familiar ideas that, that people have some connection to. They may have some intuitive sense of some of the truth that's going on there. But then Christianity roots them in their proper origin and orients them towards their proper destination. Yeah, this contentment that Paul is admitting to is not the end hmm. of life. Right. Um, and he's saying that, he's not saying, hey guys, I'm glad I'm in chains here. This is fun. Mm -hmm. No, no he, if he had a choice, he'd be out of chains, he'd be out of prison, he'd be with them, he'd be somewhere mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. But he's, he's talking about that in the midst, though, now, this issue mm -hmm. of contentment. And he uses the important word that it was something he learned. Mm -hmm. For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I have learned. Mm -hmm. And the key of that is it implies something. It implies that he admi he's admitting to a mm -hmm. time when he wasn't content. Mm -hmm. This is something that he's grown in, that he's learned. Right. And as we'll point out later, he's also going to admit that he's still growing in it. Mm. Uh, he's not being so arrogant or even stupid to admit, oh, I've arrived. No, mm -hmm. that's not his point. But he's talking about a, a virtue that is an absolute key to us, to being yeah. able to grow in grace, to be able to grow in Christ, to be able to abide in Christ, to be able to continue um, to become the persons that he wants us to be, that this is a very important virtue yeah. that must be practiced. Yeah. And I know, John Mark, we've, we've quoted this in the past, that quote from mm -hmm. Father Garrigou Lagrange, who himself is quoting it from somebody else, that in the mm -hmm. ways of God, he who does not progress loses ground. Mm -hmm. and, and so contentment is something that constantly needs dusting off. Right. Yeah, you know, it's this it's this active passivity of the spiritual life, where you know our our receptivity to God isn't is it that's our part of the cooperation. We actively practice this contentment and receive all that comes comes to us, and so it definitely gets again. And we've referenced it a lot uh, a lot recently. This it's this um, this tension, not tension. It's this paradox throughout spirituality where. You know, it's the the harmony of our will with God's, his our uh, our free will, our free, free choosing with God's grace that precedes it, and towards which it is directed. Yeah, something I mentioned before we jump into it now was one mm -hmm. one more thing, as I mentioned to you, John Mark, is that I'm finding as I'm getting older, 
um, I'm finding myself uh, less comfortable with proclaiming uh, virtues because um, as I get older, I'm realizing uh, how flawed I am, even more than I did before. It's, it's as if God is awakening me to that. I, I've jokingly said when I turn 60 that my goal for the rest of my life is to live out all the things I've been telling everybody else to do for the last 60 years. And, there, and there's a truth in that. And I'm glad mm -hmm. that that's, you know, so this issue of contentment, if we're going to mm -hmm. talk about the 10 things, I'm, I'm not giving these 10 things because I'm an expert at it. Right, but me because either. You know, me neither. <laughs> yeah, this is what we, by grace, are striving for, and mm -hmm. it's like that partnership between grace and our will. Mm -hmm. And so we need to inform our intellect and our conscience so that we know what we ought to do, and then by grace we seek to do those. And it's, it becomes a constant reminder, yeah. um, because as Paul talks about, and we'll get to this in the end, is about he was given a thorn. By God, uh, to challenge him to, to his faith, and we each have that uh, because God wants us to grow, to become more and more like Him, which requires growing in humility. Right. Okay, so I, I'm calling this the ten ingredients to growing in contentment, and there's I say at least because there may be more from this, <laughs> but this is a really a neat list mm -hmm. of things. And as uh, we didn't include that verse from 4.11, which he, Paul says he, that he learned it, but that's just a backdrop to know that these 10 things, um, we all say, oh, yeah, I know that. But we need to be reminded of these things. And to me, they, they come together to form a trajectory, a very practical way for us to prayerfully meditate on and seek to change our heart to become contented because that's really the core. Um, we're not talking about a feeling, but sometimes a feeling of contentment is, a, is uh, the icing on the cake, if you will. But we're talking about a reality that we often have to tell ourselves. And the first ingredient, therefore, um, is one, that we are to remember that somebody cares for us. We are to remember that someone loves us. Now, Paul expressed this in his letter in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. It's how he opened the letter when he was writing to his, his friends back in Philipp Philippi. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, that you, for you all making my prayer with joy, thankful for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, I put this number one in the list because it is important for us, especially when we're feeling lonely, when we're feeling down and discouraged, even when we're in a relationship, a marriage or a friendship, when we when we feel feel um, that that relationship is is in is in stress, is to remember to remember 
that that person or the other, that we have people that care for us, are praying for us, or remember those people, itemize them in your mind. Uh, you, you know, it, because the, I think the devil will try and flood our minds with negatives, but if we remember the people that love us, care for us, that's a place to begin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on, on the level of our of our fellows, we have that love because we are we are connected in the body of Christ. And then from God himself, we have to recognize that there there even more so is a love that is pure and perfect and unqualified. You know, we we struggle as Christians, we work, we practice to grow in agape love for one another. We have to recognize that that from God always already we are loved. And it doesn't depend on what we've done or what we're doing. We don't have to do anything to earn that love. That love is what we exist in first. And so it's always in the context of that love that we proceed forward. When Peter preached his first sermon on Pentecost, and by grace it opened the hearts of 5,000 people, and those people turned to Peter and said, what do we do? And his first date was repent and be baptized. Mm-hmm. So in other words, they, they, were to, they were to face up to their flaws. And then through baptism, they were changed. But there's another part of baptism. They yeah. became united. They became a part of the body of Christ. So right. the very first thing that we need to remember as the core foundation of our contentment, as they were brothers and sisters in the body of Christ around mm-hmm. the world with baptized brothers and sisters, whether they're in the Catholic Church or not, we're, we're, we're united with these folk. And so we remember mm-hmm. that unity. We are never alone because of our baptism. And we are never alone because that baptism unites us with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So there's the you know the underlying foundation to contentment with all the voices of the world, the flesh, and the devil that want to make us feel alone and worthless and a failure, Mm -hmm. that in the midst of that, we are united with brothers and sisters around the world who've been changed by the Holy Spirit and grace. But on top of that, John Mark, we are to remember specific people. Mm -hmm. He said, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Mm -hmm. And so in the midst of contentment is to bring to our mind the people in our life that God has blessed us with mm-hmm. that have demonstrated friendship, have demonstrated love to us, to remind us that even if, like right now, I live out in the middle of a woods, my wife Marilyn and I, there's no neighbors within screaming distance, but we're mm-hmm. not alone. Mm-hmm. Because I can think of, I can enumerate my, my sons and their families and my grandkids. I can go by name, individuals. I remember these people, and we're very much together, united by our baptism and our friendship and our blood as family, but also our mm-hmm. love for Jesus Christ. Yeah. It does remind me, John Mark, mm. of one of the thing with that, and that is how important it is for us to tell the people in our life that we love them because they might be in the midst of a depression a depression 
a discouragement. And they need to remember us. Yeah. You know, they need to be thanking God in all remembrance for me. Mm-hmm. So how do I communicate to them? Have I taken them for granted? Do right. they know? Yeah. That's sometimes, you know, that that's, you know, it begins in our, in our family life where we first experience the being loved because we're there. You know, you don't, you don't, you aren't loved as a member of a family because you fit the clique or that you have, you know, the same interests or the same temperament as that family. You're loved because you're the given other in that family. So it's, it's in family life that we learn a bit. We get these glimmers of who God is in his love and this unqualified love of us. It's not depends on what we do, but it's just because we are. And so that, but that's to continue throughout our lives that we're to be the reminders of that to each other. We're to communicate that love from God to each other. You know, that, that agape love is to be enacted, incarnated through our words and our actions. And so that reminder that again, so we need that. So we're to, we're to be, we to, to recollect that in our own lives, but we're also to communicate that to others to, to make sure that they're reminded of that love. One of the saddest memories of my life is of a, a friend named Walter. This goes back 40 years um, when I was in college. After college, actually. And in the summer, uh, I got to know him on the basketball court. I'd go over to play basketball in the community, and uh, we'd play basketball, a bunch of us, for a couple hours. And then, you know, afterwards, we'd go out and buy. I should admit this. On, I'm, I'm probably going to lose my job because I admit this, but we used to go out and buy two, <laughs> two quarts of beer, one quick just to quench our thirst and the other one to enjoy, you know. But my point was that we had fellowship, we had friendship. And this, mm-hmm. I remember that. And Walt, he would be there. He'd be playing basketball and everything I thought was fine. And then I went back to school and then found out later he committed suicide. And he left a note and he said I, I, that he had no friends. So he felt he had no reason to live. And I remember that. I remember wanting to scream. We all liked him. He was a great guy. Mm-hmm. How did we not communicate to him? Or we just assumed mm-hmm. he somehow knew. It, we had no idea that he was mm-hmm. depressed or whatever. Mm-hmm. But my only point of remembering that is we don't want to take people in our life that God's planted in our mission field, if you will, for granted. Yeah. Uh, we need to remember those who love us in the midst of our times of discontent, and mm-hmm. we need to remember that there are people out there mm-hmm. that need to be able to remember that we care for them. Yeah. All right. Ingredient number two. So, you know, if we're meditating on this, the first thing, envision in your mind the people that God's brought into your life that care for you, that have so touched your life. Uh, that have really helped you understand God's love for you. And number two is that we see this in chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, that we had to realize that circumstances and contentment are not 
related. Paul says, not that I complain of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am, whether it's Ohio or Michigan, to be content. <laughs> I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance in want. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is the, a real gift of grace, yeah. is to be able to cut through all the, the things in our life and yet, by grace, experience contentment. Yeah. Yeah, and again, it, all, it really all comes down to what roots uh, contentment is, is believed to have. Because if you, if you believe that your contentment, your peace, your happiness, your joy is going to come from the things, uh, that those things are always changing. They always pass away. You can't take it with you, as the, the, the great old movie was titled. Um, and so if you plant your hope uh, and your contentment on passing things, it's always going to ultimately be, um, be moving. But even beyond that too, even if your contentment is placed on yourself, um, that's always changing. That's not a permanent thing, uh, not, not a font of, of goodness for that contentment because you didn't create yourself. You didn't come from, from yourself. You don't have the power into yourself to grow and to be perfected. And so that contentment has to be rooted in God. And, and, and it's there that we find that contentment that does transcend um, uh, our circumstances as well as even our, our, our changing selves as we grow and as we learn. Yeah, if our contentment is dependent on our circumstance, mm-hmm. then that motivation is, if we're not content, then I gotta change my circumstance. So in other words, I need more stuff Mm-hmm. Or I need less stuff, mm-hmm. or um, you know I need to get a new job, or I need to find a new person in my life, or I need to I need to lose thirty pounds, or I'll never be content. You know, <laughs> or I need to put on ten pounds, or or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need to make sure I have enough money in the bank, or you know, the, I mean, I hate to admit this, but there was someone close to me who spent the last 10 years of her life and all she worried about was she was her weight. Mm-hmm. And it's, it was too bad because she was never mm-hmm. ever content with herself or her life because it yeah. was all about losing weight or this diet or that diet or. Well, and that's again, a, another point here too is relating this to the prior point that contentment is also rooted in and for love as well. Um, you know, a Buddhist seeks contentment, you know, so that the worldly person lacks contentment because they have many desires and their desires pull them in many directions to passing changeable things. And so they, they are discontent. The Buddhist, you know, uh, or the Eastern mystic seeks contentment by eliminating those desires. But ultimately that is an, an empty contentment because we are not made for emptiness. We are made for love, for relationship. So the contentment that we're talking about here, it's not related to circumstances. It's not rooted in self. It's related in the relationship of love. That's what the nature of God is, is a relational love. That's why that's what we encounter in our glimmer, our glimpse of the Trinity, of who God is uh, in the Trinity. But that's also what the love that we're called into. And so it's that contentment of being in a relationship of love. Yeah, it doesn't mean that it's not a good thing to maybe lose five pounds because there's good reasons for that. But uh, 
but it begins with this contentment. So that's what we're talking about is even if you mm-hmm. don't, you know, are you content mm-hmm. with yourself or mm-hmm. uh, so if um, if you find yourself completely alone and isolated on the other side of the world uh, and, and you're struggling with this issue, he's saying, number one, first bring to the mind the people that love you, including God. Number two, recognizing that the contentment is not connected to where you are or what you're going through. In fact, mm-hmm. number three, which builds on ch- chapter one of Philippians, chapter 12 and 14, that rather... It begins with accepting the circumstances that we are in as somehow a part of God's plan, as seeing that that God might have something in this for us, that there's nothing that happened somehow apart from the mystery of of, uh, God's plan for us. And I'm I'm thinking of Romans 8.28, all things Mm -hmm. work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purposes. Right. There, there's a purpose, as a good. And Let me read this passage, John Mark, and then uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'll pass it over to you for a thought. Because Paul is writing here, I want you to know, brethren, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brethren have been made confident in the Lord because of my imprisonment and are much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. Yeah, you know, this reminds me, throughout this topic of contentment, um, and as we go through this, you know, those who are have, have read in Catholic spirituality will recognize a lot of uh, writings where th- this these kind of scriptural themes have really been fleshed out. I, mean, I was looking up quotes beforehand from Jean-Pierre de Cassade's Abandonment to Divine Providence, and here's a quote that is you know connected to this this um, this third point. He writes, "There is not a moment in which God does not present Himself under the cover of some pain to be endured, of some consolation to be enjoyed, or of some duty to be performed. All that takes place within us." around us or through us, contains and conceals his divine action. So first of all, contentment is not, it's not rooted in these circumstances as such. But the next step, again, as, as you, as you uh, summarized it, is to accept these circumstances as they are part of God's plan. And that's an inescapable truth here, because again, God is not a part, he's not a, another player in the universe. He's outside of this. He's the author. He's the creator. All of this is within his plan. So the only question is whether you're going to participate and cooperate with the plan. So there are, uh, there are, uh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. I was just thinking, you know, thinking about Paul in mm-hmm. chains, in prison, an old guy, sometimes being tempted to question everything he's ever done and blah, blah, blah. Oh, there he is. If he spent his time focusing inward on that situation and whining about it, complaining mm-hmm. about it, uh, he would have missed a bunch of things. So how do you yeah. cut through it? Well, he mm-hmm. cut through it. We can tell because of the letters he wrote from there of being mm-hmm. thankful to all those people he knows he's connected with. So mm-hmm. that was one way to start cutting it through. And then he cut through that to realize that whatever contentment he is to have is not connected to where he is in this situation. It's separate mm-hmm. from that. And he needs to thirdly recognize that, wait a second, 
my being here is somehow mm-hmm. a part of God's will for me now. Maybe not right. yesterday or tomorrow, but now. Mm-hmm. By being that way, what did it allow him to do? It allowed him to recognize, whoa, my being here, being imprisoned for Christ, has changed other people's lives. Mm-hmm. He lists them. There are people in the guard here that have come to know Jesus Christ because I'm here in chains. If I hadn't been here in chains, they may not have known Jesus Christ. Praise God for my chains, Mm -hmm. is what he's saying. So to look at ways about our present situation, how is that being used by God? How is that Mm -hmm. even a part of God's plan Mm -hmm. in the midst of that? And again, there's there's always a great mystery here. This this doesn't mean that when we find ourselves in great suffering, that that's what God wills for us, or that to stay there and to not escape for that is not a part of that. You know, in the mystery of God's providence, evil is allowed to happen. That's a great mystery that can't be exhausted or explained away, only encountered and and learned uh, in connection to God. But in in coming to God in that present moment. And recognize that even the allowance of those evils, allowing of that pain, is part of God's plan. We can begin to, again, to, to, to climb up that ladder towards, why did God allow this? There's something, there's some next step for me to take, even if it is simply to be here with God in prayer. And, the, and that next step will, will, um, will, you know, God will show that to me. All right, yeah, Mark, you and others have reminded me often that uh, these podcasts are supposed to be kept to a, a, a manageable time period. So why don't we pause here <laughs> this week, and uh, we've given three of the ten ingredients. We'll come back next week and give the next seven, all from the book of Philippians. Again, so as we close, the three are remember those in your life that love you. You're not alone. Number two, contentment is not... Can, dependent on your circumstances, and is there a way that you can look at your circumstances as somehow a part of the plan of God? Any closing thoughts, Jumper? Um, You know, I, I had actually pulled up beforehand another quote from Kazad. This is a short prayer from his abandonment to divine providence. Maybe we could, we could close with that. Very good. Okay. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My God, I desire with all my heart to do your holy will. I submit in all things and absolutely to your good pleasure for time and eternity. And I wish to do this, O my God, for two reasons. First, because you are my sovereign Lord and it is but just that your will should be accomplished. Secondly, because I am convinced by faith and by experience that your will is in all things as good and beneficent as it is just and adorable while my own desires are always blind and corrupt. Blind, because I know not what I ought to desire or to avoid. Corrupt, because I nearly always long for what I, what would do me harm. Therefore, from henceforth, I renounce my own will to follow yours in all things. Dispose of me, O my God, according to your good will and pleasure. Amen. Amen. Thanks, John Mark. Thank you all for joining us on this episode of The Deep in Scripture. We'll be with you again next week. Deep in Scripture is a production of the Coming Home Network International. 
To hear more episodes, view our full archive of written and video conversion stories, participate in our online community forum, and more, visit chnetwork.org. You're also invited to explore free membership in the Coming Home Network and receive support on your own Catholic journey. Again, visit chnetwork.org for more information.